lovely, um, yeah, just, you know, gentle time of worship. Um, and it was really encouraging, you know, to me, and has been encouraging to me over this um, whole time, just to see um, the whole family of God minister to each other. Um, his spirit is within all of us. And so we all, we all get to play. Um, and I think that's something that's really, really beautiful and special about um, this community. Um, that at the same time, um, people are able to uh, acknowledge their vulnerability, you know, their hurt, um, their needs from God, and have people minister to, to those. Um, and then, you know, in a moment after, be able to offer that ministry to someone else. Um, and I think that's, that's really special. Um, it's been a, a real honour and privilege um, for, for me, um, and I know for Claire and for Bree, um, to be able to come and to spend this weekend um, with you guys. Um, yeah, Blueprint is, like I said when I started, is a community that is really, really um, close to my heart. Um, I, was, I was here for six years, and I, I still, in many respects, kind of feel connected, even though, you know, I don't know many of you that well. Um, you might be known to me kind of slightly well now because I've told like heaps of weird stories. Um, uh, but yeah, so I just want to I just want to thank you, um, yeah, for for your welcome um, and for having having us here and um, yeah, for listening and for responding. Um, yeah, and I guess before we also kind of crank into the last bit, um, yeah, I just really want to acknowledge um, Scotty. Um, uh, you know, Scotty took on this community what, five years ago or something. Um, yeah, and you know, I've, I've known yeah known Scotty since he was like, you know, shaggy haired um, and wearing like this red cap that had an on a defined normal. Um, uh, yeah. Um, it actually looks suspiciously like a Make America Great. <laughs> <laughs> it actually does. That's a really, that is a really good point. That's funny. Um, bring it back. Uh, but yeah, I um, yeah, I just think, Scott, you've done an exceptional job um, of leading this community over the last five years. And it's been a real joy um, to be able to watch you be in your element um, and to, to, lead, yeah, to lead these people so well. Um, and also just want to acknowledge Anna um, as well. Um, and her part um, in playing that um, and, and, and is kind of like her, her faithful kind of quiet leadership that she provides to absolutely everything um, uh, um, and um, yeah and, and also um, yeah to Rose um, yeah I, I know where's Rose not even in here cracker um, cool um, alright we'll skip that encouragement now um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I know. I know. Even when Rose was kind of considering coming into kind of being a part of um, leading Blueprint, that that discernment process was something that was um, difficult for her. And then to be kind of discerning to um, kind of stepping into like leading this community as um, Scotty and Anna and others go out to um, you know fly the coop, so to speak, and uh, um, do stuff up in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, I just you know I want to honour her leadership and what she's brought as well. Um, yeah, so thank you for having, having us. It's been really special. Um, so for, um, for this kind of last session, um, I guess we kind of want to round, round things up um, and provide some encouragement. Um, so the big story of... Oh, hello. I suddenly got loud. Um, the big story that we have um, 
gone over this weekend is at first we looked at, at the big story of God um, and how he, he made the world, um, how we as a, as a people chose to kind of reject his ways, um, but how he loved us first, how he took a step um, towards us. Um, and in announcing his kingdom and his death and his resurrection has um, inaugurated restoration um, in our lives and in our world. Um, yeah, that's an, that's an, an incredible and life-changing narrative um, for us. And then um, because of that, um, he then calls us to do the same. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore that the activity of God continually is still mission, is still winning over the hearts of people to him, and then those same people going out and spreading his kingdom. It's, it's being, being him, embodying those values, and going to those places where, where people often feel they're irredeemable and announcing that good story. And so what, um, what we want to do this morning um, is really encourage, um, because when you do that, it can be difficult. Um, it can be it can be really really hard, and if you've done some of that in your life, and all of us have done, you know, that to varying to varying degrees, um, it's hard, right? Um, it's hard to know that God is with you. Um, yeah, there's a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges along the way. Um, so if if kind of talk one um, was about the way of the kingdom is God redeeming the earth, and talk two is the way of the kingdom is sending you out. This talk is the way the kingdom asks you to trust. The way the kingdom asks you to trust. When you have that renewed identity, when you're being sent out, God asks you to trust in him throughout that journey. Um, so I'm actually going to bring up Claire um, to, to share for part of this. Um, as you'll kind of gather, as Claire talks, um, kind of trust is like, I guess, kind of just a foundational pillar of her life. Um, and so she's going to share some just really powerful stories, stories that always kind of make me go like, wow, that's amazing and crazy. Um, and um, yeah, and kind of pull some principles out of those um, for us. So yeah, we want to kind of welcome up Claire. Spirit leads, I will follow, and sometimes the spirit swears. Um, true story, true story. Okay, so to start with, um, most of you don't know me from a bar of soap, which is how I like it. Now, I want to kind of talk a little bit about what qualifies me to speak on trust. Um, so, I have a very interesting and colourful history. Um, growing up, <clears throat> I experienced all extremes um, loss, fear, terror, hunger laughter, love, death, it, it was a crazy upbringing I had and nothing was ever done by halves, it was always done, oh sorry, I'm not talking right now, okay, um, it was never, yeah it was never done by half measure, it was always in these extremes and as a response my mind never developed the ability to um, chemically regulate my emotions, so and now I know that I was suffering from depression for I'm 29 for 29 years, but growing up I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I was never happy and constantly miserable. Um, so my response to this 
was to get down on my knees and bawl my eyes out probably every night for the better part of 20 years that something would change because I couldn't tolerate being alive. And I tell you this because of two reasons. One, Elliot told me it's good to be vulnerable. Apparently this will make you all like me more. <laughs> and um, I don't have a poop story, so this is how I have to kind of get that vulnerability. Because <laughs> I'm an adult who knows me to go to the toilet. <laughs> The other reason I'm telling you this is when I tell these stories about, you know, God told me to do this, and this is what happened, and God told me to do that, and this is what happened, people tend to think I won ticket 151. I won the Christian lottery. But the truth is, I don't hear from God out of a place of wholeness and magical divineness. I hear from God out of brokenness, because I have spent 20 years listening to him for survival and desperately, desperately screaming to him to talk to me because that whisper of his presence is honestly the only reason I'm alive today. Um, so I've got, I did have four stories and Elliot and I were like, we're going to try and speed things up. So instead I now have five stories that I'm going to share. And just a principle that I've got, a little principle that why I think those stories relate to trusting in God. So to start with, and this is becoming my token story, um, I have a property in Taranaki. It's 15 acres. It's beautiful. It's perfect. We've got a river. I've got a golden retriever. It's just amazing. My mum and I kind of run it together. And God told me a few years ago, build me a chapel. And I said... Okay, I'm, I'm studying law at the time, not building, so it's like, okay. Um, cool, yes, okay, yes. And God said, yeah, build me a chapel and build it here. And he showed me a very specific part in the land. So I was like, okay. So I went back to my mum and I said, God says to build a chapel. She's like, great. I said, here. She said, not great. I said, yeah. She said, that floods, it floods there. The river rises well above there every year, multiple times, and it floods. I said, yeah. So I went to God, Mum says it floods. <laughs> and um, God said, oh yeah, build it. <laughs> okay. And then um, we had this back and forth and then Mum was like, you know, what about, there's this hill that looks over this, it's beautiful. So I said, took God there and I was like, and God's like, yeah, it's a lovely hill, build it where I told you. <laughs> so I go down with Mum and a shovel and God says, yeah, here, build four holes. Here, 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 and here. Dig them, put pillars in, and then you're going to build the chapel up from the pillars. And I told mum this, and she said, well, you know, we're not builders, but I know builders use plans, so we should probably maybe Google how to build a chapel. <laughs> and again, I said to God, maybe we should come up with a plan, and God is like, you're not listening, girl. <laughs> Dig the holes and put the posts in. So... Mum and I have a bit of back and forth, and then eventually we dig, we dig the holes. And that's hard work. Um, we're right on this river bank, and there's another stony bank behind us, and two big trees with tree roots, and God was very specific about the placement of these poles. So we start digging, and I notice something as I dig. Sand. The soil I'm digging up is sand. You might not have known this, but the Bible is very clear about building things on sand. <laughs> kind of a no-go. 
So I'm muttering under my breath about the third hole, sand, sand. I'm building a house on the sand because I hear from God. The wise man builds his house on the sand. And God says very clearly, the wise man builds his house wherever the hell I tell him to. <laughs> Get digging. So I do. And I put these posts in and then I lay a floor and things just fall into place miraculously and we didn't have to buy anything. We built this amazing little chapel that looks out over the river. It's tiled with ice cream containers because I was working in an ice cream parlour and got free containers. They're all plastic. They will last forever. <laughs> and then I build this chapel and I sit there and I'm sitting in front of it and I carved out, you know, my house will be a house of prayer. The whole time I'm going, sand. It's built on sand. And this place floods, I'm going to lose this chapel first winter. And then God said, brilliant, well done, daughter. Tend my garden. Okay. So I come around the front of the chapel and I kind of think, I'm going to, you know, get some little nice flowers, make like a cottage garden thing. So I start, I go to my tent, get some, some flowers, and I start digging to put them in just in front of the chapel, because I can't get down about this far, and I hit rock, okay, a bit further, I hit rock, this starts to get quite annoying, so I go around the whole chapel with my shovel, just shoveling, probably murdering all the worms, and it's rock, everywhere except where those four posts were, is sheet rock, I built the house on the rock, without even knowing, and it's now been like four years, and every year the river floods into the chapel and every year it floods out. And we've got a little brush to sweep all the sand out and the chapel is totally unmoved. So when God, this is a principle that I want to draw from this. When God asks you to do something, say yes first and how second. Yeah, how do I know that I've heard from God? Can I have you for a display? So I get asked this a lot. How do I know that I've heard from God? And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to, to um, explain this in any theologically sound way. But this is kind of the analogy. If this is Elliot's hand, exhibit A. Okay, so he's doing just banging in a random zone, right? Okay, now... Elliot, explain to the room how you know that this finger here isn't your own without looking at it. No, I know this hand is not. No, good job there. How, can, how, does, how does this finger feel different to those ones? It's an impression. But like a little... how is it different to what you can feel? Oh, your, your finger? Yeah. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, find we, we practice this, yeah. I find it quite hard to hear from God. a shadow of doubt, mm -hmm. but you can't really explain why. You just know that it's not yours because it's not coming from you, mm -hmm. even though you're receiving it in a similar way to how you receive your own thoughts and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that is... Thank you. Woo! Um, so I, I don't know if that was helpful. That is the only, the, the only way I know how to explain how I know I'm hearing from God is that 
I'm hearing something and it's not me. And it tends to work out to kingdom values. So I'm gambling, it's God. You're welcome to join me in that gamble. Um, the next story I'm going to tell you is themed in the chapel. It started in the chapel. Um, a lot of people have come to the chapel on the land now and they worship God there and it's awesome. And one day I had a friend come and we spent a lot of time, she's suffering through infertility, trying really hard to be pregnant. It's her, her goal to be a mother and it's heartbreaking. And we're at the chapel and we're praying as we do a lot for, for breakthrough and and she's struggling with IVF and she feels like maybe there's a faith thing happening. Maybe she shouldn't be going through IVF. Maybe she should just be believing and that makes them punished for doing IVF. So they're sitting there and she's having this, this real kind of long and drawn out prayer of her own. And I'm respectfully listening and praying. And God says, hmm, yell trout at her. And I'm like, what? And then God just starts going, trout, 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 yeah? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not. No, no, there is a line. I am not yelling trout at this green woman. As soon as I put my foot down, my left ear goes deaf. And God said, oh, so you don't want to listen to me. You don't need this thing. It's like that, is it? Okay. So I wait calmly and a bit panicking and I ever go into here again and I'm here. And she, she eventually stops talking. And I say, hey, you know, I, I could be wrong here. I don't want to just, you know, maybe if God could maybe an impression be saying maybe trout. She bursts into tears, sobbing, snot. It's a mess. So I sit there and let her recover. And she was a tourist guide in Topol. And I didn't know this, but the trout, Lake Taupo is apparently a great trout fishing spot. But due to the thermal temperatures, the eggs can't be fertilised in the water. So the eggs are fertilised in scientific labs and then put into the water and they grow into trout and people fish them and all as well. And she knew all of this process from her tour guide work. So she just burst into tears and she's like, the best trout in the world from Lake Topor, and they're all IVF babies. So the principle I took away from that was lean not on your own understanding. Do not try to judge the Lord's will based on your own common sense. It is not common sense to yell trout at a grieving woman, but when God works for you, it's usually in the language and context of others. I'm preaching to the choir here. I feel like if there was ever a church that would go around yelling trout, this is probably it. <laughs> but still, but still, it's a good principle. Okay, next. Tend to my garden. That was the command God gave me. And I have tried to do so. So I was on Facebook and this begonia plant comes, comes up. And God says, buy it. <laughs> So I messaged this woman and I'm like, you know, I'm interested in your begonia. It was really pricey for a begonia. They're um, quite moody plants. I personally don't like them that much. Um, but God said to buy it. She comes back to me with like, have you ever owned a begonia before? Do you have a suitable location for it? Can you keep it warm in winter and give it sun in summer? And do you really, you know, do you really, are you able to give this begonia a good home? I'm like, 
yes. <laughs> so it gets pretty specific. She's like, you know, how are you going to transport this begonia from my house? Can you pick it up? Can you send me a picture of your car? I'm actually in space. It can get damaged. <laughs> Okay, this is a really demanding pricey begonia. Okay. <laughs> so I'm driving out. It was like a good hour's drive. I'm driving out to get this begonia thinking, okay, God, what is it? Is it going to bloom in gold and fund my future? Is it, does it have healing begonia flowers that I will sell as tea and be this like miracle begonia? There is something going on. So I get out there and I pay the woman and I meet the begonia. <laughs> and there's nothing sexual about it. I'm like, oh, She's like, yeah, so she interrogated me again. She said, this begonia, my great-grandma bought it from Scotland in the 1940s and it's continued to grow. I'm like, okay. She said, yeah, um, I've recently kind of, she'd recently become a Christian and she was a young mother and she was dying of cancer and this begonia had been in her family for, since before Scotland, ages. And she'd been praying, help me to honour the story, help me to honour my great-grandma, help me to make sure this begonia survives and thrives and one day can come back to my daughters who are too young to have it now. So she's praying on her knees, Jesus, bring me someone who's going to look after this begonia. So if anyone knows how to look after begonias, um, just see me after because I didn't know. Um, so, the principle I learned from that is it's not always about you. Um, I had gone on this journey like, what is this begonia going to bring me? Because God is so into it. He's drawn me to this. What am I going to take from this? I take nothing except the burden of an immaculately required begonia because there's a woman out there and that means the world to her and I am taking clippings of it and I'm giving them to everyone I know because I hope that one day her kids can get that, that back. So the principle for that is, um, yeah, it's not always about you. Sometimes God wants you to do something and it's not about you. Now, this was the last story, but I actually added another one. So second to last story. So I've got this friend, April, this old woman who is like amazingly nuts for God. Um, she's down the back of church with her flags and oh. she waves her flags. But she's also she's tired and you watch as this flag drops in front of you and then you just get this whack with the bamboo pole in the back of your head. <laughs> she is amazing. She is, is prophetic to the next level you know I'm sure that she prophesies over God and it comes true she is <laughs> and um, I also had this woolen vest I got from a knot shop a couple of years ago and over the summer I was cleaning them out and I was chucking a bunch of stuff out I came to this vest and God said <laughs> look good in that but, okay I'll give it to you next time I see you but I didn't see her for ages so I'm up in Auckland with this vest, and this is a few weeks ago, and I was going to fly to Australia the next day, and God said, oh, remember that vest? Post it now before midday. <laughs> what? Uh, what? Get it in the post before midday. So I'm like, okay, scurrying around, I get it in the post, I post it off. And then I go to Australia and I think about it again. A few days I go get this call. The week before she fell over, I broke her hand. So she's in a cast with a sling, can't do anything with her right hand. And two days before, her brother had died. And she, I think it was all the sadness, yeah. And she was 
go on about her business and then this morning came and it was cold. So she's got this broken hand, she's cold and her, the reality of her brother dying hits her. So she has nothing to warm up. She, make, she gets a hot water bottle and she sat in her lounge chair and she just cried and cried and broke. And she was like, God, I'm cold, I'm sore, I'm lonely. So she, after a while, she goes to the to the post to get um, the hussar, because she quite likes to read the community newspaper. And um, then she gets this jumper. And so this, and it, she's, I get this call from her that I can barely understand because she is sobbing at, you know, she's cold and God sends her a woolen vest. And she says, it's not just any woolen vest, it was her colour and her shape. And she is just over the moon. And the principle I take from that story is God knows the world's needs. You don't. God knows when you need to make the 12 o'clock delivery at the post shop. Um, so when you get that, just do it. Okay, now my last story, and this is the last story. Um, I haven't got notes on it, so we're going to improv this is fun. Um, so I go, I try and go running in Auckland, try. And this one night, I'm running around the neighbourhood. I go running at night, it's a trick for people that don't really know how to run, because people can't see you. Like, it's really good. So I'm running around West Auckland, and I usually run down, down Tipai to the courts and then up Central Park. And this one night, I am running so fast, it's nuts. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting there. I can start doing some day running like I'm getting there. And then I just, something comes out of me like a current, and I Whipped and I run down this behind nipple courts. And I'm like, okay, I'm still running. And I didn't really choose to turn this way. Okay, I'm still running and running really well. Awesome. And then I hear something and I look up and there's this guy and he's got this girl and he's grabbed her jumper, pulled it over her head, and he's just wailing on her, just punching her in the face. And it's like I was at the front of a wave riding a surf. I just like went up into the middle of it and I asked what everyone should ask, what are you doing? And he's like, what? This is where I could be explicit, but I won't. And then he says all these words. And I'm like, you're not allowed to hit people. <laughs> <laughs> she's taken off, she's gone. And I'm just standing there, like, oh, well that happened. And then he fires up his car, and he's coming straight towards me. And I'm like, nah, you're not gonna hit me. So I turn around, and I just keep walking. And at the last minute, he swerves around me and comes off into the night. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here, I'm standing with my God and every angel in heaven, and I am invincible right now. And then I, oddly enough, realise I'm right behind Laidlaw and they're having a big worship night, and I still can't quite fit the two in my head, but there we go. And so I continue running at my normal abilities. Unfortunately, I'm back to just puffing away. And God says, hey, wasn't that great? I'm like, yeah, it was great. Because it didn't, wasn't awesome how you felt my protection for you. So, yeah. So you knew that car wasn't going to hit you. I knew it wasn't going to hit me. 
that's in here. You need to run and hide now. And I was like, what? You need to run and hide now. Oh, so I happened to be my little sister, which for a while was the only good coffee cafe in Auckland. And I knew that their bins were kind of hidden in the back. So I just boosted it, ran to the back and behind little sister. And just as I got there, I look up, this guy's car slowly drives past and says, okay. And I, like, interesting night. So I rang Elliot and I say, hey, um, are you awake? And he says, yeah, I'm just going to bed. Is it tonight? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'll bring bed. Hang out, bring bed. In hindsight, I should have probably said, no, I'm going to bring bed. Bed comes and gets me. And, um, <laughs> and then I go home. And what that has taught me is when you lean into God and you get out there and you're in that wilderness with him, you just do whatever he tells you to do, whatever he tells you to do it. For some reason, sometimes you're at the front of an army and for other reasons, sometimes you're hiding behind dumpsters. And I don't know what the difference is, but I know that obedience is, is always key. Um, so those are my stories. I hope they have been a blessing to you, and I'm not really good at public speaking, and I don't know how to wrap things up. So I'm just going to keep rambling awkwardly. <laughs> So, I mean, those, those are some amazing stories, right? Um, and, um, yeah, I'm privileged to be able to... Right, what? share a story um, about uh, kind of from a different angle about what it's looked like for me to trust um, to give an example about how it's kind of ordinary in different ways for some of us um, because so for me for example I you know um, I I don't have um, as regularly have kind of like quite a supernatural life 
um, uh, experiences like that. Um, but, I, but I still really believe God calls me into things and that I have to trust them in him. Um, so a few years ago, um, I found myself in um, ED again um, with a, a young person who I was journeying with who had tried to take their life. Um, so she she lay unconscious on this hospital bed. Um, you know, I was there with her, um, her mum and, um, and her boyfriend. And as she lay there and um, the doctors and nurses cut her out of her 21 Pilots tour t-shirt, um, her devastated friend told me um, about when he found her, her phone was sitting right there. And, um, and on her phone was this um, was Trump Tumblr, um, which is a social media platform, and um, this kind of screed of um, hashtag suicidal posts. Um, and um, I asked him, oh, did she post anything? And um, he kind of showed me her account, and right at the top of her account um, was a suicide note. Really brief, just like a couple of sentences, um, just talking about how she felt and her plan. Um, and this young person was sitting on my couch a couple of weeks earlier, um, and um, she was found by her boyfriend um, at um, in like the afternoon and about three hours after that post went up. Um, and so this really struck me. I was like, man, when, um, when this young person tried to take her life, um, she like told the world about it um, publicly. Um, the problem is, is that like no one was really listening. Um, and it's, it's out of stories like that, um, that um, for me, I guess my, my kind of current, current call um, that I feel birthed, which is um, what I um, have with some others started is this project and it's called uh, Online Crisis Intervention. It's kind of a part of Zeal. Um, and yeah, what we do is um, basically try and intervene in situations like that. So um, we seek out young people um, on social media um, who are, have already posted in distress. Um, so they're already saying this stuff. Um, and then we figured out a kind of a way to be able to seek out those young people. Um, for me, the value was kind of leaving the 99 to go to find the one. Um, and then we have a, a team of trained crisis counsellors, um, so people um, yeah, who are trained to be able to kind of have conversations to help people go from kind of that crisis moment to calm. Um, and they're all volunteers. We're recruiting in Wellington at the moment, so you know, if the story's like, man, that sounds awesome, come talk to me. Um, yeah, and we reach out to them, and we initiate, we proactive, we initiate conversation with them, um, and then these young people get back to us and we, we help them out. Um, and you know, at this stage, like this project, um, we have talked to users in over 35 countries. Um, we talk to people in all kinds of situations. We've had some like live rescue situations um, where we've called like emergency services in other parts of the world. Like at one time, it was like a live rescue um, happening in the US and our like guy calls up the like American emergency services. G'day, it's uh, Andrew here uh, from New Zealand. Um, just talking to uh, someone on, on Instagram. Just not really in a good place right now. And you're like, um, okay then. Uh, wow, really? Okay, I'm not really sure what, sure what to do about this. Okay. Um, they would have kind of figured something out and um, actually eventually get kind of a, an ambulance to, 
to this person and um, so that they wouldn't make it through the night. Um, uh, a month or so back, we had a conversation with a young person in Jordan who was struggling with their sexuality, um, and in Jordan, that's like just like widely taboo and unaccepted. Um, and so, but there's like a, a kind of underground advocacy group, and so we were able to um, support and encourage that young person to access that advocacy group. Um, we had a conversation with um, a person recently um, who, uh, you know, was just kind of like hadn't told anyone and was just like overwhelmed um, with experiences of um, depression and anxiety. And as a result of a conversation with them, um, they made this really bold move to, to go and see a doctor and then been kind of recurred, um, referred to a psychologist and being able to get help. Um, we've talked to young people that are um, struggling with um, self-harm and as a result of the conversations that we're having with them, we've kind of learned new skills and then we reach out to them later on and discover that the skills that they're using um, have helped them to not be self-harming anymore. Um, just like cool stuff. Um, but the reason I kind of tell that story um, is because, like, for me, going into that, man, it's just like a big trust thing. Um, like, no one in the world has, like, done this thing before. Um, we kind of think it's a bit stupid that no one hasn't, but um, no one in the world is like, Gone like oh well like every young person in the world is online and instead of like telling their friends or you know their parents or their school guidance counselor or whatever they create an anonymous Instagram account and download their lives um, and like no one's doing anything to like seek that out and to be able to go like take the burden of action and go and do that to young people um, so we kind of thought oh we should do it but no one's done it before and so what it means is that it's like it's actually really difficult it's really hard. Um, we basically like surreptitiously hack into Instagram. Um, this hopefully will never be um, heard by Mark Zuckerberg. Um, <laughs> and um, like things break, things mess up all the time. Where we're just like nowhere near meeting the need. Um, you know, at the moment, like we've got this funder um, who like gives us a lot of money, but I'm just like I worked in the not-for-profit for a long time, so I'm just like I really know how like. Funders get excited and then like, you know, money dries up and I'm like, man, we got to figure out how to pay our own way. Um, it's like, it's an entrepreneurial journey. Um, but I feel like deeply, deeply, deeply caught to this. Um, yeah, because my heart breaks for these young people all over the world who have no one um, to care for them. And as a result of that, they're just pouring out their lives online. Um, and so I kind of want to, I kind of want to add that as like another story on the back of Claire's, um, you know, that um, for some of us, and hopefully increasingly a lot of us as we press into God, we have these moments where, you know, we yell trout or build chapels, um, but also that's like, that's, that's clear, you know, that's what, what God's doing in clear, um, and like God's not going to ask at the end of things like, why were you not clear? Um, it's going to be like, why, why were you, why did you not step into the fullness of who you are? And like, Claire and I, like, we're super different. But I like know that like online crisis intervention is like that is what God like is wanting me to do. He wants me to like push into this thing, and it could like all fall apart and go belly up. I could not have a job like any moment. Um, so I, I, in a very, very ordinary way, have to trust. And just a super day-in, day-out, ordinary way. So I guess kind of a question is, well, what, like, why? Like, why, why does God put us into things where we have to trust in him? What's that about? 
He does that because we're his beloved children. And what that means is that he doesn't want to just give you some like plan, project plan, and like send you out and kind of check up on the KPIs every three months. You're his child. And so he wants to walk with you every step. Because God's heart is relationship with his children, he often calls us into these things that feel like they're beyond what we can bear in our human strength. Because when they're beyond what we can bear in our human strength, it's then that we come to God and have to bring it to God. So as an example, I've got a friend of mine, um, and he's just going through some really difficult um, things in his life. Um, at the moment, in a way, like a lot is really falling apart. He's also said to me, I've just never, like, I've never pressed into God like this. I've just never been closer. You know, and, and it's like, what's happening in his life is pulling him, pulling him into God. And so God, you know, brings in or allows things to happen in our life, sometimes because he actually wants, he wants us to be near to him, because he wants relationship with us. I have this metaphor um, that I find really helpful. Um, to think about how I, when I'm like stepping out and kind of making decisions in the world and in my life um, and, and kind of hoping that God is with me. Um, so have you ever looked at the underside of a cross-stitch pattern? Right? It's just an absolute mess. You just like can't make any sense of it. There's just threads going everywhere. It is but ugly. It's the worst. No, when your sister does it? Really? Does she have some sort of like special technique? Really? All right. Let's, let's talk after Paul. Um, so from the underside, it's the worst. But on the top, it's always some like picture of like a meadow or a cottage or something else equally British. <laughs> I think our lives, like as a kind of collective, as the family of God, are a little bit like that. You know, it's like there's this cross stitch that is suspended in the sky, and all of us in our lives are weaving our threads. And we kind of look up at the threads that we're weaving, and we look and see the threads that other people are weaving, and it's, you know, it's all these different colours, and for us it can seem like it's a bit of a mess, and we just can't really make sense of it. But God is the master builder. He's the master cross-stitch whiz. And he's making sense of it. And so our call is like not to necessarily like know like the whole big picture. It's like to trust him. He's actually the one that has like, you know, the plan. And we do our bit. We faithfully weave our way through. So the question for us then is... Um, what is our response when we're unsure? When we pray and there's no response, when we're confused, we're freaking out about messing it up. Well, well, God asks us to trust. God asks us to trust. To lean on God and know that just because we don't know what's going on, it doesn't mean that he doesn't know what's going on or that he's not present. I think a really helpful question to ask is, Am I trusting in my ability to hear the call of God and to know his will? 
Or am I trusting in God's ability to enact it, whether I know it or not? God very well, very may well be making things happen in your life and like enacting his will and you are just, it's happening around you and you just don't know. Am I trusting in my ability to hear the call of God and to know his will? Or in God's ability to enact it, whether I know it or not? I, um, I was really lucky to spend um, a little bit of time um, uh, in Tierra Nueva um, earlier this year, um, which is like Bob and Gracie Eckblad's um, outfit. Um, and um, Bob told a story. Um, he does a lot of um, uh, like work in prisons with, um, with men and Bible studies, and he goes and runs his Bible studies every week. And he told me um, the story about how one time um, he's leading this Bible study, but at, uh, at this moment, kind of in the prison, there's these, like, two warring gangs, um, and just, like, tensions are just super, super high. And so he's, like, reading this Bible study, and on the one side, you have, like, one gang, and on the other side, you've got another gang, and he's, like, sitting there doing this Bible study, and just, like, he's, like, you can just kind of cut the tension with a knife, and he's, like, kind of freaking out about it. So he, in his mind, he's, like, okay, all right, we've got to speed through this. So he's like, okay, guys, um, yeah, it's just got to be a quick Bible study today. Um, and in his mind, he's like, we'll get through the Bible study, you know, pray, and then, you know, hit the buzzer and the guards will come in because this thing is just about to blow up. So he finishes the Bible study and he starts leading, as he always does, finishes with the Lord's Prayer in Spanish. And, um, uh, and so he prays, um, closes his eyes, um, and when he opens his eyes, on one side, there's all these gang members that have stood up and grabbed their chairs, and the chairs are like holding them above their heads. And the other side, the other gang members have done the same, got these chairs holding them above their heads. And so, like, sometime while he's praying, they're like just getting ready to go at it, like freaking out. And so he like, like walks through and like hits the buzzer, gets out, the guards come in, you know, like. Kind of, you know, grabbing everyone and basically like try and separate this thing before it explodes. And he just felt like he had, uh, yeah, he was just like disappointed that he wasn't able to manage the situation. He was like, ah, oh, just kind of like it's average that I wasn't, wasn't able to de-escalate that, or yeah, just felt a bit disappointed. A few weeks later, he's um he's back in the prison and he's having a chat with um one of the inmates, and the guy says to him. Hey, Bob. Bob, you saved us, man. You saved us. Bob's like, how would Bob say it? What are you talking about? (laughs) And um, he's like, you know, like the other week we were in the Bible study? And, um, you know, and... And like we all had our like chairs above our heads. When you were praying, man, like we were ready to go at it, but as you prayed, we were just like frozen still. <laughs> we just like we're like statues. We couldn't move. And so like Bob and his faithfulness to pray this prayer, you know, the spirit had come and brought calm on the space. And so for Bob, it's like, is he trusting in his ability to like to kind of know the will of God and to do it, or is he actually trusting God to bring his will? 
whether he actually knows it or not. Knowing the call of God doesn't necessarily make things easier. Like, life's still hard. Um, I think sometimes we want to be, like get that kind of um, knock on the door and God kind of like give us a letter and tell us exactly what we're supposed to do with our lives because then like life will be easier. But actually, God calls us into difficult things. And I have friends of mine um, who have like, followed the will of God into like, you know, serving in, in slums um, in the world and um, rescuing human trafficking victims and um, putting themselves in harm's way. Lots of full-on stuff. Jesus himself at Gethsemane prays, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, there is always going to be some confusion, some struggle, some pain. There's going to be hardship. The difference is whether or not we trust that God is with us or whether we think he's left us. And it's, it's in those moments that the trust matters. Trust actually has to be exercised. How do you trust a friend? Not by saying you trust them, but by placing yourself in their hands. And that's what God asks us to do. So to finish up, um, I want to read a couple of scriptures. Uh, We're going to be reading from Matthew 14, if anyone wants to um, get on that walker. So this is just... um, A really simple and beautiful passage, and we've heard it before, but it's just a beautiful story about trust. Uh, From verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, by the way, this is right after the the five loaves and two fish, which is like basically another trust story. Um, After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I love this image of, you know, how God is calling us out. God calls Peter out of the boat. And it's because Peter sees, you know, he sees the power of God, and and he sees, he's recognized Jesus. Like, you know, we recognize Jesus, and hopefully recognize Jesus this weekend. And he says, oh, that's Jesus. Like, if it is you, call me out. Because something in us is like, yeah, I want to I want to go. Send me out, God. He calls us, calls us out. Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking and he's looking at Jesus and he can do it. 
But then he sees the waves. Then he, he focuses not on Christ, but he focuses on the situation. And he freaks out, and he begins to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. And I like how this ends. Yes, Jesus challenges Peter and says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? But then they all hop in the boat and they worship Jesus and saying, truly you are the Son of God. And so, you know, Jesus calls us out and we get excited, we want to go, we get out of the boat, you know, we walk with him, then we see the situations around us, we freak out, you know, we start sinking. Jesus reaches out his hand, he grabs us, he recognizes that it's hard, and still we get to celebrate that he is the living God. My final encouragement is, um, is from the, uh, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then what is his last promise? Ten points to Jess. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We have a new identity in Christ. He is sending us out. And he is with us. And he is with us. And he promises to be with you. Cool. That's us. Um, I'm going to pray. Um, to kind of wrap things up. Um, uh, and then I've got, um, I believe we have some process groups happening. Um, and so I've got a few questions um, for that. Um, so maybe I'll say these questions and then we'll, we'll pray. So um, the first, I actually have three. Um, so uh, the first one is, what has God been saying to you this weekend? What has God been saying to you this weekend? And then kind of the second part of that question, because I guess we're talking about mission, is where might he be sending you? Maybe for you this weekend, the big thing that God's been saying to you hasn't been about being sent. Um, but I imagine for, for a lot of us, it's a challenge we're feeling. So what has God been saying to you this weekend? Where might he be sending you? The second question is, what's getting in the way? So this is kind of like referencing some of that talk from last night of like the attachments of the world that for a lot of us, um, you know, growing up in a comparatively like wealthy and comfortable place. Those things are really alluring. Um, and just for us to be able to kind of confess um, those to each other and to be able to support each other, to be able to acknowledge them, what's, what's getting in the way for you? And then the third question is, what might be the next step? Going from here, acknowledging that, you, that God is calling you to stuff, acknowledging that you've got an ego self that is like really, really hungry um, that you're fighting against, um, what might be the next step?
Cool. Let's pray. Loving and liberating God, um, uh, yeah, we thank you that you loved us first. Um, Lord, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for um, for being with us this weekend, Lord. Um, yeah, we thank you for the weather. Um, we thank you for Kai. We thank you for the conversation. We thank you for the ministry. We thank you for um, being ministered um, to and also um, the honour of being able to minister. And we thank you that you are working amongst us. Lord, we acknowledge um, and we believe your big story, God, that, um, that you love this world and that you are redeeming it. Lord, and we... Um, uh, we say, Lord, oh, we want to be a part. We say yes. We, we step in, Lord. We press in. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, give, give me the part that I am to play. Give us and our communities the parts that we have to play. <coughs> and then also, Lord, we're a little bit scared. It's hard, we're in the human we do our best to live up to your example, but we struggle, we fall, we sin. So Lord, may you help us. May you give us strength. May you encourage us. May you help us support one another. And we ask, Lord, that yeah, you would guide us to kind of put the the bricks in place that you have for us to make your kingdom come. In all these things, we pray in your name. Jesus, amen.